Hi, I'm Jaleesa Williams. And I'm Christopher Schimpf. And today we'll be doing our podcast on Media Literacy 2. Buckingham makes it clear that he is not interested in how we can use media as a tool, but more so how we can teach kids about this newfound media. He discusses Media 2.0, basically saying how contemporary teenagers now growing up in Web 2.0 with social networking, photo, video sharing, blogging, and podcasting, remixes, and mashups, etc. Um, I can make a personal connection to this because I am a contemporary teenager growing up in this Web 2.0 point in life. I have like my entire life has been incapacitated by media or this media 2.0 that he speaks of. Um, With a personal contrast in life, it still hasn't made any major changes in other places like the UK, but in the US, it is shown to make a great change. We seem to not be able to put put down our phones in this society, and we spend more time online than anywhere else. Now, I'm curious, I'm gonna ask you these questions kind of because you are in that position and I'm much older. Okay. Um, And when I grew up, this stuff was just like chatting online came out mm-hmm. when I was in high school. So that's funny. Do you think that because something that I got from this article was all right, we have ways that we taught about it and we know that the actual media is changing, but yeah. do we change the way that we're teaching to try to keep up with it or are the ways we taught before because in the UK they said they already had media studies. So they're saying, do we require a change in the way that we're doing it in order for them to be able to facilitate themselves with that media? So do you, I mean, we don't have that specific stuff here, depending on your school, right? Um, Yeah. Did you feel that you were ready to say, know what to do? Because the applications are changing yearly, monthly, really quick, like who's using what? Um, Yeah. Do you feel like what you learned in, say, your English classes gave you what you needed in in order to communicate no matter what application you went into? I would say that, like, with certain classes, they gave me the tools prepared to go into any class. But um, a lot of my – I feel also that, like, I grew up in this society where media was, like, so heavily heavily being – Um, implemented in our teachings. However, I did feel like our teachers had to break out of their shells, more than likely break out of what they were used to to become adjusted to what, like how the way that we learned. And an important thing that he did say in this reading is that he said that it is important to be able to pace, like work at the student's pace in experiences with media, but to be cautious because not all of our experience will be experiences will be the same. And I think that's really important because I mean I'm nineteen years old. A lot of my a lot of my growing up is around like very strongly involved with digital media. But there can be somebody who comes from like um a state where heavy where media is not so like heavily distributed, like I don't know, maybe I don't know, Arkansas or like Nebraska, like places like that, because New York is just so heavily influenced by mm-hmm. like digital media these days. So it could be a kid that's 19 years old as well, growing up in such a fast paced media environment, but they can come from a state where media is not so like 
digital media is not so as strong as where I am. So just as much as it's important to keep the pace with students, it also is very important to be cautious because not every 19 year old is like me, like has been so um, incapacitated in media as much as I have been. Yeah, I agree. The I do f also find it interesting because he talks about how you have to be careful, not only it being irrelevant to certain students because they're not in that setting or giving them the opportunity to close that gap, but also different things can become irrelevant in general. Like if I was a teacher and I started building lesson plans around how to, I don't know, navigate through Facebook, but do you even use Facebook? No, I don't. That's so funny. Um, I feel like we, a lot of us cut, like not a lot, everyone, but a lot of us cut it out because we started to actually take Facebook as being something for older people. We started to believe that Facebook was, um, I feel like it attracted us at first because it was for older people because my generation grows so fast. Like we always try to be older than what we are, but we started to realize like, maybe this is not a place for us. Maybe this is a place for older people to, you know, reconnect with people who they've had fallen out with mm -hmm. and not so much as a site for young kids to be able to, to, you know, post every second of the day and just, so that people can be updated with what we're doing. Like we have, we're heavily on Instagram now where you can post on your story, something that you're doing every second of the day. You can post pictures, you can get likes, you have followers as well as Snapchat where your videos are only put up for 24 hours. So it's like, it's there and then it's not there. So I feel like we gravitate more towards sites now that we feel are made more made for us instead of made for older people or where older people are starting to gravitate to, I feel like we gravitate away. Yeah, it's interesting. It's going to be, I think that's one of those key things that everyone kind of has to decide as a teacher then is saying, and that like the point of this whole reading is, so then you kind of have to find that level ground where what you're introducing could potentially work for anything that they go into. Yep. Um, so yes, the basics of what's always been done, but then kind of making sure that in any lessons that you do or, or the things that you're discussing could then be used towards any medium uh, that the students want to gear themselves towards as they grow up. Yeah, that's, um, it's really important. He also, he kind of um, points towards that when he talks about common culture. It, he says he defined it as a shared experience of media between, between the student and the teacher. So not so much that the teacher has to so much go out of their comfort zone just to please the student, to make sure that the student is learning and taking the information in, but the ability for the student, both student and teacher, to have a common ground of understanding. So no one's like lost or no one has to break too much out of their shell to come with like a basic understanding of what is being taught, like what information is being relayed. Yeah. Um, he also goes into, I saw a chart in his reading. It was the comparison between media 1.0 and 2.0. Mm -hmm. um, I saw, it was framed off of um, research and information by Marin and Gauntlet. And they were talking about major differences in between media 1.0 and 2.0 and i found it very interesting that in media 1.0 
it was privy to like expert readers and people had to be taught how to be critical. Meanwhile, in this day and age, media 2.0, people are already very critical and it's ordinary people who are privy to this information. So I found that very interesting that um, back then digital media was more so for people who was more so to be explored by people who were say let's say experts and in this day and age we're, like everyone is so critical and everybody has such strong opinions enough to comment on so you think do you think that the media 1.0 skill set that was attempted to be implemented worked or you think it just happened on its own i feel like in media 2.0 it happened more so on its own and i and i feel like in media 1.0 it was learned. The reason why I feel like Media 2.0 was kind of developed on its own is because I feel like because it says that it's not directed towards experts and it says that it comes like it's a bunch of ordinary people and everybody just has such like critical thoughts and analyzations about it. It was more so developed on its own and that can fall into media manipulation and disinformation because if you go and you develop these critical ideas by doing your own home research, you start to believe these things that you see on the internet because of course you're researching, you're browsing through the internet, you're seeing other people's opinions and that's helping you frame your personal opinion. So I feel like that can begin to fall into um, the act of being manipulated by media and falling into what they like to call fake news and conspiracies. So let's transition into that second reading then. Okay. Um, express like how important this the relation was to Buckingham's reading. Mm -hmm. um, because he more so wanted us to focus on how we can teach students media it's like what happens when media manipulation and disinformation gets in the way like how will students be able to know that everything they are digitally digitally viewing on the internet is correct right. and how hard does that make teaching now if i go home and i do my personal research and then you're i come to class and i explain my views and then you're telling me like that's wrong like how do teachers now start to handle this? Like when kids are going home and finding their own research and it starts to frame personal ideas in their head now. Right, I agree. And what makes it interesting is that if we, if we base it off of this article, it seemed as if it was kind of geared one side politically. Yeah. Which then, like trying to talk to a student about it, especially if, say, they're parent completely agrees with what they found yep then it's almost as if trying to tell them where it's wrong also challenges their family yep their family views and that can create a problem because um just to drift away a tiny bit like it's like a kid being raised in their household and they're taught something by their parents like after you eat you have to brush your teeth and you have to wash your hands and like they go over to like let's say a friend's house and their friend does not do that like their family does not share those same views it's almost kind of like you're like being put in a almost like different environment you're like the black sheep in the environment and it's it's hard to break 
a person or I would just say a student for using that example, a student out of something that they have been trained or something that they have been learned all their life. Or so if you're going, so if you're at home and your parents have like personal views or political views, they're like, let's say they're democratics and you go to school and everybody's talking about how they're Republican and their Republican views. It's like, it's hard. And I agree with you where you say it's almost challenging. It's like challenging that student and challenging that those family values. And then they're less prone to be okay with breaking out of that shell and hearing opposing opinions. We can even connect that to um, the G reading, the trusting your senses from last week, the selective perception. When people don't really want to hear about those opposing ideas, because they feel like their ideas, their perception, their experiences are what's right and nothing else besides that, beyond that is correct. Yeah, I agree. And I I think it'll be one so two things. One I think that it will be a challenge between say uh, English and also social studies departments because yeah. they'll kind of have to work together on this. Yeah. Um but I wonder if our best option is just to show where that manipulation happens and how that manipulation can happen so yeah. the student can kind of see it on their own instead of telling yeah. them a specific instance is incorrect. You can yeah. say, well, these are the methods that are used and maybe even find those methods from other sources, not specifically say like the alt-right that they're talking about in the article, Yeah. Um, but position it maybe from say like, a foreign government or groups in foreign countries so they can then maybe potentially make those connections as yeah. these are methods that are used by multiple sources. Be careful of them. Be cautious. Yep, definitely. And back to what you're saying about how showing rather showing the kids how easy it is to be manipulated. We can also connect that to our optional reading about can you tell a fake video from a real one because they actually show you artificial intelligence and how easy it is to manipulate us like digitally like while viewing that article it was really surprising to me and I was really intrigued by the fact that I almost got a lot of them wrong like a lot of them when you had to guess um, the real from the fake because the fake videos seem to almost look as real or even more authentic than the fake than the um the fake videos look almost more authentic than the, the real videos yeah and yeah. and it's interesting because that software um, yeah has actually gotten better um, so there yeah, are... Yeah, and it'll only get better. That's the craziest part. Yeah. So there have been some ones that have now been going out that are just like actors and movies that they've done really mm -hmm. well. And it's funny for entertainment value, but it has again been popping up uh, with uh, politics, especially with the next presidential election occurring. Yeah, uh, that's coming up. Yeah, we're going to have to... I really think that's important, especially for um, our, our kids that, that are later in high school that might even be able to vote to know to look for these things. Yep, um, my first, I was actually, um, I believe I was a junior in high school when that year that Trump ran and got elected for president. And it was just so, that was the first time I was very involved in politics. And it was really interesting to me how much of that was like 
involved in the in politics like they were talking about how the russians and how russians hacked and then we we were getting like news breaking out about different presidents we have trump who was explaining that everything that was being posted against him was fake news so it was just a lot and a little bit overwhelming as a kid to just see how much of this like artificial and ingenuine stuff is implemented in politics and it's almost scary because politics is a very important thing in our country like we have to elect presidents we have to elect people who are going to represent us so if media is how we learn about these people and like basically how we make judgments off these people because we don't see them in person we see them on tv we see them on twitter like trending things on twitter we see them but we see everything about them very digitally. So if we can't trust the media, then it will start to affect real world situations. These will no longer be jokes or memes. These will now be like, who do we trust? Who do we vote for if nothing on the internet is genuine or correct? Yeah, I, I couldn't say it better. I, I am rather, uh, it is troubling to think of how teenagers are going through this now. Yeah. Because uh, if I was in that case, I probably wouldn't trust anything I saw anymore. Yeah, and then it affects voting. Then we will stop voting or people will get less voters. And then it's like it becomes a, a huge problem because then if we don't vote, it's like when a person does get elected and they're doing stuff that you don't agree with, it's like, oh, then why would he do this? Or why does he think that he can do this? But I mean, we had the voice but we didn't use the voice, but how can we be blamed for not using that voice when it's like we can't trust what we're seeing? Right. All right. I think that about wraps up our time. Yeah. Thank you for a wonderful conversation. Thank you for a wonderful conversation. That's our podcast number one. All right. Thank you.